It was great working with, uh, with Isaac. That's good. I don't know if he's here today, but uh, I'm glad we thanked him for that. Well, I want to welcome everybody, everybody in this room, everybody in the atrium, and joining us online from all over. And I'm going to jump right in. I'm going to jump right in with a question. And here's my question. Should you as a Christ follower, if you describe yourself that way, or should the church be safe or dangerous? Should it be comfortable or radical? Should it be all in or play it safe? I mean, which describes you if you're a Christ follower? Or which describes our church right here at Crossroads? And I know uh, when I say the word dangerous, a lot of people get a negative thought in their mind, like hurting someone or getting hurt. Or, you know, like we'd say, uh, that dog is dangerous maybe to a mail carrier or a delivery person. But when I use the word dangerous to describe Christ followers of the church, I'm using it in a positive sense. Like Nicole Jokic is dangerous on a basketball court. Patrick Mahomes, dangerous on a football field. Like Serena Williams is dangerous on a tennis court. Sophie Smith, dangerous on the pitch at the Women's World Cup. Uh, Tiger Woods was dangerous on a golf course. Like the Colorado Rockies. Oh, maybe, well, that was a bad example. Bad example. But Jesus gave us a description of the church, actually. It's found in Matthew 16, verse 18. We don't have the verse up, but Jesus said this. He said, I will build my church. And he said, the powers of hell will not be able to conquer it. I'll build my church. The powers of hell will not be able to conquer it. When Jesus said those words, what do you, what do you think he was describing? Uh, uh, what, do you have, what did he have in mind for the church? Is that a church that's dead or dynamic? Is that one that is cautious, plays it safe? Or is that one that steps out in bold faith and takes risks? Safe or dangerous? And I think the, uh, the answer is obvious. And let me say this, if we are a dangerous church in a positive sense, um, who, who are we dangerous to? Well, the New Testament would say we're dangerous to the, uh, to the evil one. Uh, around here we talk about uh, the kingdom of darkness. Ryan talked about that a few weeks back. And he talked about we're dangerous to the powers of greed and to fear. That's who we're dangerous to. In reality, a safe church is not a safe church is not dangerous to anything, least of all the enemy. I'll give you characteristics of what I think is a safe church and see if you agree with this. A safe church strives to keep everyone happy. Doesn't upset anyone. That's a safe church. A safe church avoids controversial issues. They never want to take on Hard issues. You know, they're kind of afraid to. They don't want to offend anyone. They don't talk about the five unacceptables we see on the banners. They don't talk about the effects of poverty or racism or LGBTQ plus issues today. They don't talk about that. Here's another one. A safe church remains always cautious. They're, they're uh, afraid to try something new. You know, they're anything new. They don't want to do it. Their favorite line is, we've never done it that way. And when it comes to doing church, 
Uh, you know, there's always a temptation to play it safe. And I know, you know, I did church for a long time. I did church. Believe me, I did it. And uh, there was always that kind of temptation to play it safe. I did it a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. But there was always a temptation to not rock the boat, you know, not become controversial. But I don't think that's what God desires. Well, God calls us always to be loving and kind and caring and peacemakers. God never called us to play it safe. Never. We're in this series, as you've heard, uh, Campfire Stories. And I'm going to refer to one today. It's found in Luke 10, verses 1 through 17. I'm not going to read it all. Uh, I'm going to only refer to some of the verses in it. You can read it on your own if you'd like to, but I think it, uh, it talks about this subject. We're told right at the beginning, I think we have this verse up, Luke 10, verse 1. The Lord, that's Jesus, appointed 72 people. That's his followers. And he sent them out, and it goes on saying, two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was going to go. And he told them this. This is in verse 9. Heal the sick who are there and tell them, the kingdom of God has come near. little background in Luke 9, Jesus picked 12 disciples. He sent them out with the gospel message. And we know the name of the 12. We know all their names. Now in Luke 10, he sent 72. And the, the 12, by the way, that number was symbolic of the 12 tribes of Israel. In Luke 10, he sends out 72. We don't know if that's really literally a number. But that number refers back to Genesis 10, where there's a list of 72 nations. It's called the Table of Nations. And Jesus sends out these 72. We don't know their names. Ordinary people like you and me. And he sends them out to reach the world with his gospel. Let me ask this question. What was that gospel he sent them out to share? I mean, what, what really was the gospel that Jesus preached? What was it? If somebody were to ask you that question, if you're a Christ follower, what would you say? Sounds simple, but, you know, I have a deep conviction, personal conviction, based on my experience, a lot of experience. vast majority of people in America today and in many churches they would not give the answer to the gospel Jesus preached that the Bible itself gives. What is the gospel Jesus preached? He had one message. Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15. Mark summarizes Jesus' message. Look at this, it's up on the screen. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Euangelion is the word, the Greek word for good news. Angelos was uh, a messenger. You at the beginning of a word made it positive, like euphoria. Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good message, the good news. And Mark 1.15 goes on. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent, believe the good news. What was the good news? The kingdom of God has come near. And I want to read a series of verses that 
will establish this, that the kingdom of God is near and right now, that this is the gospel Jesus preached. Let's look at these. In fact, I'm going to go through a few, and whenever that phrase, the kingdom of God, comes up there, let's read just that phrase out loud together, okay? This will keep you awake if you're, if you're dozing already. Luke chapter 8, verse 1. I'll read. After this, Jesus traveled from one town to another, proclaiming the good news of everybody, the kingdom of God. Here's Luke 9. Uh, when, it says, when Jesus called the twelve, we know their names, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, and he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God. After Jesus rose from the dead, he gathered his followers together, and he spoke to them about one topic. Acts chapter 1, verse 3. He appeared to them. This is after the resurrection. Over a period of 40 days. And he spoke about the kingdom of God. Here's one more. The last verse in the last chapter of the book of Acts. This is the Apostle Paul. He's in chains in Rome. Paul's proclaiming one truth. Acts 28, 31. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus with all boldness and without hindrance. If I were to summarize the gospel that Jesus preached in one phrase, that's what it would be. The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here in our midst. Right there. Kingdom of God. God's power. God's presence. God's love. He's saying it's available to everyone. Ordinary people. Not just the religious elite. And he's saying, you can live in it, he says to the people. If you want, you can live in this power. That's Jesus' gospel. And I believe that's the only gospel that can transform a human life. The only gospel Jesus ever preached. Now here's an issue. Here's one of the issues. Millions of people, especially in our day in America, they substitute another gospel. They might not put it in these words, but the gospel a lot of people carry around in their mind. You can write this down. They think the gospel is the minimal requirements to get you into heaven when you die. Minimal entrance requirements to get into heaven when you die. They think that's the gospel. That's it. Right there. You know, once you die, uh, the gospel, the minimal requirement will get you into heaven. They might not put it that way, but that's it. And recognize also, recognize my jokes here. Not only they're not always funny, but they're not always doctrinally correct. But this one fits, so I'm going to tell it. This one's not doctrinally correct. But uh, this woman dies, and she finds herself at the pearly gates. St. Peter is there. And he says, you can't come into heaven until you, until you do one thing. She said, what's that? He said, till you spell a word correctly. She said, what word? He said, any word you want. She said, I'll spell love. L-O-V-E. St. Peter said, come on in, welcome to heaven. And then he said to her, he said, now, uh, I, could you take my place for just a little bit? And if anybody comes up, follow the same procedure. She says, okay, I'll do it. 
and she's there a moment, all of a sudden, she sees her ex coming up. She goes, what are you doing here? He said, I had a heart attack. Did I really make it into heaven? She said, not yet. He said, what do I have to do? She said, you got to spell a word correctly. He said, what word? She said, Czechoslovakia. <laughs> but that's a picture a lot of people have in their mind of the gospel. You know, that when you die, you come to a gate that's leading to the other side. They're going to ask you a question. If you answer the question right, you get in. If you don't answer it right, you don't get in. The gospel, many people think, is the correct answer to the question that will get you over to the other side. And the tragedy is, because of that, the tragedy for most people, many people, there's no connection between the gospel and their everyday life. And of course the gospel includes the, uh, the promise of forgiveness of our sins. Uh, that's a gift of grace from God. And of course the gospel includes the promise of that death doesn't have the last word, that we'll live eternally with God forever and ever. Of course the gospel includes all those things. But it's much bigger. It's much broader than the salvation of the individual. It's much more exciting. The gospel is that God is with us and God wants to transform our lives, make us into people that will change the world, make it into the place that God wants it to be. And Jesus was the great kingdom bringer. He brought that message to earth. That's why his one command was Matthew 6.33. Seek first the kingdom of God. His one plan was for his followers. That's the message to share. The kingdom of God is here, available to everyone. That's what the 72 took away. Kingdom of God, available to ordinary, every day. Sometimes broken, sometimes foolish people, like you and like me. And we can live it if we want. I think there's another problem. Another issue, you know, we hear the word kingdom, and, you know, we think of thrones and castles, stuff like that, you know, that kind of thing. We're not used to using that kind of word today. But in a biblical sense, it's, it's not a location. It's a realm. It's a realm, a sphere. And in a biblical sense, and you can write this down, everybody's got a kingdom in a biblical sense. And your kingdom... Your kingdom is where what you say goes. Just think about that. That's where your kingdom is. Where what you say goes. And people learn early on that they were made to have a kingdom. It's not a bad thing. It's part of why we don't like people telling us what to do. Have you ever sing that uh, little jingle uh, that kids often do? You, you know, you're not the boss of me. Right? Uh, Phyllis and I, we used to say that to each other often. You're not the boss of me. I remember when Dennis Anderson, a pastor, he sang it up here once for us. You're not the boss of me. I got a kingdom. What's the favorite word of a two-year-old? No. That's not bad. That's not a bad thing for a two-year-old to learn. She's learning. She's got a kingdom. He's learning. He's got a kingdom. That's real important. You know, little kids are in the back seat of the car, 
cars going along. You know, what do they do if there's a bunch of them back there? They draw a line. They say, hey, don't come over that line. This is my kingdom over here. You know, they're in the car. And whose kingdom does dad think the car is? It's his kingdom. He don't like it that they're fighting in the back and going to war about crossing the line into each other's kingdom. So what does dad say? I remember my dad would say this. He'd go, hey, don't make me come back there. I remember thinking, what? You're driving 70 miles an hour down the highway? You're not coming back here. No way. So what would dad do though? He couldn't come back, but he would do something else. He'd throw Mr. Hand back there. It would be like a snake moving around. Kids would all revert to their corner in their kingdom. So the hand couldn't get them. My kingdom is where things go the way I want them to. And having a kingdom, as I said, is not a bad thing in this sense. It's part of how God made you to be. Look at Genesis 1.26. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness. And those words are synonymous, image and likeness. It's essential to what it means to be a person. Part of it is having a kingdom. The writer unpacks it a little bit. It says, so that they may rule and have, uh, one Bible says, dominion. That's kingdom language, rule and dominion. Genesis 1 says you were made. You were made to, to rule, to have dominion. To have a sphere where your will and your choices are respected and valued. That's how we were made. And to live in that kind of environment where our will is respected and it can be effective, it's key to be part of our personhood. I mean, I have a kingdom. I turn on, I get in my truck, I turn on the radio, the buttons, it's all, they're all set to the stations I want them to be set in, right? KBCO, KUVO, KUNC. The seat's in the position I want it to be. In my truck, I got the mirrors all set up right. There's no Cheetos, no French fries in between the seats in my truck. Why? That's my kingdom. I go into the office in the front of my house, my home office. There's books on a bookshelf set up exactly right. There's a pad of paper on the coffee table there. I got a list of things I'm going to do that day. The mail from the day before is all laid out there. Why? It's my kingdom. I work a long day as a chaplain at MCR. I come, up, come back. I'm, I'm tired. I walk in, and there's uh, slippers next to an easy chair. There's a glass of iced tea on the table. Steaks grilling out back. Why? I walked into the wrong house. <laughs> but again, the idea is I have a kingdom. You have a kingdom. We're made in the image of God, in the likeness of God. Your kingdom is where what you say goes. And when that gets violated enough, when that gets violated, when you feel intimidated and controlled and manipulated, and that happens over and over and over, it's destructive to who you are as a person created in the image of God. But our kingdoms get junked up. They do. They get junked up because of sin or, as we say here, the, 
the wounds that we inflict upon people and other people inflict upon us, our kingdoms get chunked up. It's just reality. Jimmy Scruggs talked about it last week. He said, hurt people hurt people. And it's true. On earth, think of it this way. On earth, there's 8 billion little kingdoms running around inner, you know, that are interwoven and connected and all of that. 8 billion kingdoms in this world. And they, as they come together, they form larger kingdoms, nations, corporations, families, political systems, cultural systems, economic systems. We call that whole conglomeration, the 8 billion kingdoms running around today, you know what we call that? The kingdom of earth. That's the kingdom of earth. How's it going in the kingdom of earth these days? Who does it look like's running the show on the kingdom of earth? Read the news. Last weekend, 33 shootings in the city of Chicago, the city I love, resulting in dozen deaths. 75 over the uh, Memorial Day weekend. And unless you just think it's out in those kind of big cities, Denver had 21, six deaths resulting. As of July 23rd, we surpassed 400 mass shootings on planet Earth, or Kingdom of Earth. That's up from 365 a year ago, same time. There's a war going on in, uh, in the Kingdom of Earth, a number of them. There's a civil war in Yemen. It's called the Forgotten War. It's been going on since 2015. Nobody even talks about it. Yet over 380,000 people have died since since 2015. There ought to be aid going there, but it can't get in. The Forgotten War. Ukraine War. A little over a year. 354,000 casualties. 10,700 deaths. A little over a year. No end in sight. How's it going on the Kingdom of Earth? I read a story about a, a guy in China. He owns a restaurant. He was so filled with hatred and envy for somebody that owned a rival restaurant, he broke into the restaurant at night, his rival, sprinkled the food with rat poison, resulted in the deaths of 49 people, mostly children, over a restaurant. This is the kingdom of this world. And this is an ama amazing thing. In a world filled with so much affluence, Nine million people die every year from hunger-related diseases today. It's shocking. 24,000 children die. I checked this statistic a number of times. 24,600 children die every day from preventable causes, malnutrition, lack of food, bathing and drinking unsafe water. 24,000 children every day, like kids like yours, like mine, my, my grandkids. Your grandkids. When a major jetliner crashes somewhere in the world, it inevitably sets off a media frenzy worldwide. You imagine you woke up today and you turned on the news. The headline was, uh, the headline was, 100 jetliners crash, killing 24,600 people. Imagine that. Think of the pandemonium. It would create worldwide. Airports would shut down everywhere. Governments would be involved. 
media coverage would be an avalanche of media coverage. Now imagine a hundred more planes crash the next day. hundred more crash the next day. And the next, and the next. It's unimaginable how terrible this is. But it happens. Happened today, it'll happen today, happened yesterday, happened tomorrow. And there's hardly any media coverage. Yet 24,600 children died yesterday in this way. And God feels the pain. God feels the pain. And behind those numbers, we can't lose sight. It's real people, real families. Many love Jesus every bit as much as we do. I saw, I saw this. I read the bi biography of the life of W.E.B. Dubois, African-American civil rights leader of the last century. Uh, contained one of the most shocking pictures I've ever seen in my life. Picture taken the early part of the 20th century. It was a picture of a large bonfire and still recognizable in the bonfire is a shadow, a shadow of a human body. African-American man who was burned to death. His charred body still smoking in the background there. And all around the bonfire are like groups of people, hundreds of people, posing to get their picture taken before a human being, innocent man, burned to death. And they're smiling, smiling. Then I think there's your life and mine, our lives. I talked to somebody the other day, a big house, beautiful family, looked like they had, looked like they had everything. Then it all came crashing down. Heartache, betrayal, lost it all. Hurt, abuse, addiction. That's the kingdom of this earth. That's the kingdom of this earth. Who's it look like running that show? And we'll wait for somebody to fix it. You know, somebody to fix it. Next election will fix it. New government. AI will fix it. Well, there is good news. That's the message Jesus came to preach. There is good news in the midst of this. And the good news is called the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven, the Bible says. And don't miss this. What is that? The kingdom of God is where God's will is done. The kingdom of God is where God's will is done. And don't think of it as a location. God's omnipresent. God's not limited to space like we think of space. It's a sphere. It's a realm, a, dom a domain. The kingdom of God is where everything that happens is exactly, precisely the way God would want it to happen. It all meets God's approval. And the best definition, I think, is when Jesus prayed that prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. And what does it look like in the kingdom of God specifically? Jesus taught about this. He taught about it. Matthew 18, he said this. The disciples came to him. They come to a Matthew 18, verse 1. They go, who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? You know, they have their own idea. Because where do those disciples live? On the kingdom of earth. Jesus said this, Matthew 18, 4. 
He said, whoever takes a humble place, whoever becomes like a little child, that's the person that's greatest in the kingdom of heaven. That was a shocking answer. That was a shocking answer. And the reason Jesus chose the child is not because, not because children are always humble. I mean, if you know kids, they're not perfectly humble. Why did he choose a child? He chose them because in that day, in that society, they were on the lowest rung of the ladder. They were the bottom. They had no status at all. In fact, when they tried to see Jesus, what did Jesus' disciples do? Told them, get out of here. Get out of here, kids. You're not high enough on the ladder to merit seeing Jesus. Jesus says in the kingdom of God, the greatest of all people, the greatest of all are the people who give up the whole project of who's important and who's not important. They give up the whole thing about status and climbing some ladder of what the earth, what it says down here is success. In fact, imagine a place like that. Imagine a reality show where people get their show, not because they're richer than other people, more powerful or prettier than other people. Imagine a reality show. They get the show because they're humble. Humble people. Imagine a society where nobody lords it over anybody. A society where there are no nobodies. Imagine. It's just filled with a bunch of free, confident, kind, peacemaking, loving people. Like little children. Jesus said this about the kingdom of God also. In Luke 14, he said, you know what the kingdom of God is like? It's like a banquet. Yeah, it's like an unbelievable party. Unbelievable party. In which the poor, the blind, the lame, those who were rejected in that day, the crippled, the excluded, the misfits, nobody's a misfit in God's eyes, but that's what society said then. The rejects, they're all invited. Everybody's welcome. It's like this utterly loving, inclusive community. Imagine being a part of a place like that. Imagine being part of a place where everybody, everybody's on the lookout for somebody who feels lonely or rejected. And they just come around that person and make that person the guest of honor. Make that person feel prized. Imagine Imagine it. Paul wrote this in Romans 14, 17. He said, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. He's not saying it's not good to eat or drink, but the, you know, the religious people, they had a whole list of who's in and who's out. Paul says, that's not what it's like. There's no list of do's and don'ts. It's a matter of righteousness, right living, peace and joy. That's what marks, Paul says, that's what marks the kingdom of God. No wonder the psalmist said in Psalm 145, they tell of the glory of your kingdom and speak of your might so that all people may know of your mighty acts and glorious splendor of your kingdom. 
God's kingdom is a place of never-ending humility, never-ending community, righteousness, right living, peace, and joy. And Jesus is magnificent. This magnificent man, Jesus, Jesus had a plan. It's in Matthew 6, verse 9. I, read, I quoted it earlier from the Lord's Prayer. Jesus said, here's my plan. I'm going to bring what's up there because I know what the kingdom of God is like. I'm going to bring what's up there down here to this, to this earth. Jesus said, that's my plan. I'm going to bring this kind of life that's up here down here. I'm going to invade this kingdom of earth with the kingdom of God. And not just that, Jesus told anybody that's his follower, anybody who's following him, to devote themselves to that. But many Christian people, Christian people, many think the whole gospel, and they think our job is to get the afterlife destination all figured out. And then we just tread water. You know, till we die and get ejected out of here, and God comes back and torches the place. Jesus never told anybody to pray, get me out of here so I can go up there. He never told anybody to pray that. In fact, what he told us to pray is to pray that what's up there would come down here. Right where we are. That God would establish his kingdom right here. And how does this make me a better person? Or how does this affect my normal everyday life and yours? Well, you and I are to be agents of that kingdom. Every time you bring a slice of that life down here, the kingdom of God is breaking through in this world. Every time you're in a conflict with somebody and you want to... You want to hurt them, you want to lash out, you want to gossip. But instead of that, because that's what life's like on the kingdom of earth. But instead of that, you seek peace and you seek to reconcile. and You offer forgiveness to that person. Every time we do that, the kingdom of God is breaking into this world. Every time you get a chunk of, chunk of money, instead of just spending it on yourself, you look for ways to give sacrificially to somebody, somebody who's hungry, somebody who doesn't have a home, somebody who's poor. When we do that, the kingdom of God is breaking into this world. Whenever you serve a meal down at the Loveland Community Kitchen like people do here, that's when the kingdom of God is breaking through into this world. Or whenever you're tutoring a child, helping them to learn to read like people do here, help fight that illiteracy, the kingdom of God is breaking into this world. Whenever somebody has an addiction and they're willing to stop hiding and acknowledge the truth, get help in a loving community, the kingdom of God is breaking into this world. Every time you include someone that's lonely or encourage somebody who feels defeated or you put your arm around somebody who is hurting and you're just with them, every time you stand up for someone that's oppressed and a victim of injustice, the kingdom of God is breaking into this world. And the prayer that Jesus taught us all to pray is being answered a little bit. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The band's going to come out uh, right now, but 
You know, here's what I think, here's what I think Jesus would say to, to us as a church today. Here's what I think Jesus would say to Crossroads. I think Jesus would say, I dream of the day when this auditorium is filled to capacity with people that are filled to capacity with massive amounts of compassion and love. I dream of the day when people drive down Taft around 57. They look over at Crossroads and they say, you know, I may not agree with everything they teach there, but man, those people are the most loving people in northern Colorado. I mean, they love across any divide. They love the rich, poor, black, white, young, old, Republicans, Democrats, straight, gay, trans. Doesn't matter. They see the value of every person, every person, a child of God, created by God to enrich this life. Inside that place over there, they're the most radical, radically loving people on the planet. I know a guy where, where I work. The guy's the most radically loving person. He goes to that church, most radically loving person in the company. I know a woman at, at the club I work out at. She goes to that church, Crossroads. She's the most loving person in the community. A young person says, I know a guy at school goes there. He's the most loving person in the entire class. That would be consistent with Jesus' teaching, wouldn't it be? That his followers would be known by their love. Well, the band's going to lead us now. Final song. Then I'll come back, I'll pray, and we'll have a blessing. But uh, During this song, uh, the offering will be passed, uh, those baskets. And if you're a regular here at Crossroads, you want to participate in that. If you're a guest, let it go by. And, but there's also those uh, boxes out in the back if you like to put your offering in there. But we'll do that. We'll sing together. Why don't we stand, if that's okay? Let's stand together, and then I'll come back and pray, and we'll have the